Good morning, everybody. We're so glad to see you today. And uh, I just want to say that look at look at our choir over here. They are they're really doing great back here. And we also have our, our orchestra here with us. And you notice that we do have a few empty chairs in the orchestra as well as in the choir. And here's what I need to tell you today is that Christmas has come early. Okay, if we could go ahead and throw that slide up there, Danny, for our Christmas preview. Our Christmas preview is going to be this Wednesday, August the 16th at 7.15. Okay, if you uh, have ever wanted to be in the choir but aren't sure that you can commit to a full year, this would be the time for you. We would love to have you as a uh, part-time worship leader with us. Uh, singing these Christmas songs and remembering uh, the season as we work toward the goal of singing a worship night called Shepherd, Savior, King. And we're just going to look and see how Jesus is all three of those things, even at the very start of his birth. And you see a a few pictures up there that have been really significant. Uh, It's going to be really a good time with ensemble, full orchestra, full choir, soloists, and uh, really, really excited about that today. Uh, I can also see that a bunch of our college students are back today. We're so excited that they're here. And also some of our children are are in uh, the congregation. One thing that I love about Luke 418 Fellowship is that every single generation is represented in this room. And we're all called to do the same thing, which is to praise. Today's really special as well because we have a ladies quartet that is going to be helping us lead in worship today. I'll go ahead and call them up. Uh, and they are going to sing a few songs for us today. So would you welcome them as they come and sing for us this morning? Only God knows when your heart's been broken. Only God knows what your times you've cried. Only God knows every fear unspoken. Only God knows what you're feeling inside. Like when times get tough And the kindest word from the best of friends Never seems to be enough Only God knows when your heart's been broken Only God knows all the times you've cried Only God knows every fear unspoken Only God knows what you're feeling inside Only God knows what you're feeling inside Hope is gone and dreams are shattered mm-hmm. And it's best to feel like nothing else matters There's a friend when friends cannot be found He's a friend indeed when your soul's in need He can turn your life around Turn your life around Only God knows when your heart's been broken Only God knows all the times you've cried Only God knows what you're feeling inside. Only God knows what you're feeling inside. 
turned it on. Awesome. Well, thank y'all so much. Y'all are, y'all, y'all were one heartbeat, right? One, one heart, one heart was the name of the group. And, uh, I, we have had the opportunity. They poured into my life all since I was really, really small. Um, as I know, don't tell any stories. All right, good, good, good. Well, it is a joy to be here today, and I just want to, uh, we've got a few announcements for you. we got South Asia Interest Meeting is coming up right after worship today. If you're even remotely interested, Brother Randy would like to speak with you right after worship, right down here. Please come. There's two opportunities in 2024. Uh, in February and also in the fall, and so you can come down and, and you can just hear more about that. He'd love to speak with you. Our senior adult luncheon is coming up on August 17th at 11 a.m. at Lighthouse uh, Restaurant, and today is the last day to sign up. As I shared on Wednesday night, I, I believe that Lighthouse has one of the best crab claws in Mobile, Alabama. Um, also, there's a ministry report outside that you can get that gives you all of our financial details and also those who have uh, joined Luke or lettered out or those who also um, have passed away. And so get that on your way out so that you can continue to uh, stay on top of just everything that's going on here. And then August 26th from 1 to 2 p.m., uh, our kids, Luke 418 kids, are hosting a lemonade stand to help raise money for orphans in India through Lifeline. Last year, they raised $2,952, and so we're praying this year uh, that we'll top that. So in the parking lot from 1 to 2 o'clock, August 26th, if you could put that on your calendar, come be a part, support our kids as they raise money to help support those in need over in India. And then last week, as I had just gotten back from my sabbatical, I forgot to announce and share that last week was our promotion Sunday. That's what we called it when I was a kid. I think now they call it pop-up Sunday, right? And so they uh, are, are my daughter. I came back from sabbatical, and now she's in the youth ministry. I was like, what just happened, right? And so, but, but what I want you to also hear is that those that are now in the third grade are with us in uh, the room, and so parents were so excited that they are with us, um, and we know that they may be, uh, they may move a little bit, they may, uh, you know, uh, Brother Randy says an hour of me teaching is tough for him too. And so uh, just know that we're all together uh, unified as the body of Christ. And don't feel overwhelmed. Just know that we're all supporting you and, and helping this transition as they join and they are with us. I love having uh, all of our children in here for corporate worship. It is just a wonderful opportunity for them to learn and to grow and to see what we do uh, as the body of Christ. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'm going to pass it back to Brother Aaron. So, Father, we just, we love you, we praise you, we give you all glory. Uh, Father, we recognize that 
the scripture says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, but who has clean hands and a pure heart. Father, I pray that we would begin today by examining our heart. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. And David even prayed, search me and know me. So Father, as we come into this place, may our hearts be pure before you. May we offer incense of praise. And Father, I pray that as the word is opened, Lord, I am desperately dependent on you for all things. And so Lord, speak. As Samuel said, your servant is listening. Father, may we listen today and may we obey the truths of your word. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Welcome those around you to Luke 418 Fellowship as we sing. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been watching the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this song. For a part of the family, the family. today. Lord, revive us, rekindle our affections towards you today that we might do and say the will of God together as the family of God. We all have that one foundation that is Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Peter 2, and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up 
as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Let's give a sacrifice of praise today. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. You sing that again if you believe it today. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sound. Oh, may I then in his 
dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the Lord. Amen. There will be a day Thank when we will Jesus. see him face to face. Can we just sing that and agree on that one more time that Christ is our Lord today? Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. You may be seated as we continue worship today and that is the greatest gift that we could ever be given salvation not being judged by our own merit but by his all-sufficient merit his righteousness and he gives us so many great other things too as well this congregation our families our jobs our friends all of those are gifts from above today let's bless him for all these that he's given us but especially jesus today Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His soul. Thank you. 
Because through Jesus' blood, we can be one body together. No matter where you're from or what age you are, or especially what you've done, you can be accepted by Jesus. And Ephesians 2 speaks to that when it says, For he himself is our peace, meaning Jesus, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having been put to death the enmity through his blood we can be made one we can be made whole today let's thank him for the blood Oh, the blood, crimson love, price of life's demand, shameful sin placed on him, the hope of every man. Would you sing with us?
life and life abundantly we follow after him we worship him today in spirit and in truth let's sing oh what love Father, we are in awe of the way that you love us. We love the way that you have cared so richly for us to reveal yourself through your word, to send your son to live a perfect life, die a death that he did not deserve, be buried and raised again so that we might have life. And a life here on earth to live in community and fellowship with other believers, Lord knowing that we have great things to do to build up that spiritual house, Lord, as living stones off of the foundation and the cornerstone of Christ. We pray that we would love richly, that we would forgive as we have been forgiven, and always be in awe of our wonderful Savior, of a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere at once, and yet we call Him Father to be a child of God today just expresses the glory of your name in, in a way that is unfathomable, Lord. You are a wonderful and merciful Savior today. We love you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen. Thank you. 
today. I have to say, how many of you in the room were involved in the Mobile Christmas Spectacular back in the day? How many? I see quite a few hands. I know that the four, Miss Kathy, Miss Denise, Miss Lisa, Miss Donna, y'all were all uh, heavily involved in that. And, and, you know, as I sat here and I was singing, I just was reminded, you never know when God is using you in a mighty way. It was in 2002 in preparation for the Mobile Christmas Spectacular, that the Lord spoke to me that I was going to be a pastor. And so as I sat there and I watched y'all singing, it just reminded me of that moment. Now, I ran from that calling for a long time. 
I was told that if you're called to the ministry, run. And if you can't outrun God, then say yes to the ministry. But as I sat there and I just began to think of all of the people in this room who were instrumental in raising me in the way of the Lord, and I just want to say thank you. It was just overwhelming as y'all were singing. Today, we are going to look at what I'm going to call the glory of God part two. Last week, I shared with you about the glory of God. And and let me just say again, I, in my humanity, am not able to even comprehend just a piece of the glory of God. And so last week, what we did was we said, let's let the word of God help us understand and see. Maybe God will just pull back the veil just a little bit for us to see the glory of God. We looked in Exodus chapter uh, 34 and we saw there that the, the heart of God, he talked about how he's compassionate, slow to anger, he's gentle, right? And so often we think about God and we think of him, you know, holding that gavel and, and how wrong we were and, and that, that we've done something against him and so we're fearful. But when, Jesus, when God says, hey, Moses, I'll show you my glory. I'll show you all my goodness, but I'm going to cover you up. And after I pass by, then you can look and see the shadow or the backside. Because if you saw me face to face, you would die. And then God says, I'm compassionate, slow to anger, loving kindness. That's who I am. And what's so beautiful about that last week, we went to the fact that, that the Word became flesh. And it says in John 1, 1, it says that the Word was with God and the Word is God. And then later in verse 14, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what we recognize is that the glory of God was wrapped up in human flesh and that Jesus came to this earth. And then we saw that Jesus left but sent the Holy Spirit and that we can see the glory of God by diving into the Word of God. And when we are in awe of who God is and we let the Word of God wash over us, the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit in our life and that fruit is a reflection of the glory of God. We saw that the same attributes of God and the same attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, they go hand in hand. Why? Because it is that reflection of the glory of God. Well, as I began to focus in and think through and pray over that, the Lord took me to a historical narrative in the Scriptures. And that's the story of the Ark of the Covenant being taken by the Philistines, or some may say the Philistines. Now, in this passage, in this historical narrative, we're going to be walking from 1 Samuel chapter 3 to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, if y'all know me, I go verse by verse and usually preach on like one verse a week. Now we've got like a whole book and a half. So I'm going to be giving you pieces of it today. I pray that the Holy Spirit will just put on your heart to go home and read this story from start to finish. Today we're going to spend ample time on the story and then we're going to look at some practical points to apply to our life. So let me read to you two passages. First we're going to start in 1 Samuel 4, 1 Samuel 4, and I want to read 19 through 22. And then I'm going to read to you 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 18. And so we're going to see the kind of the, the, the bookend, so to say, and then we're going to look at this story. 
It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19 through 22. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news about the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said, Do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. As she called the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been taken. Now jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I'm going to pick up in verse 13, and we'll discuss this story, but in verse 13 it says, and this is David, it says, And so it was that when the, the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a, a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. We see in these two passages, first the ark of the covenant is taken and they say, Ichabod, the glory has departed. But then we see later, several years later, David bringing the ark and they take six paces, six steps and they offer a sacrifice, and they're dancing before the Lord because the Ark of the Covenant is returning to its rightful place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we praise you. I ask today that you would give us guidance and clarity as we look at this historical narrative that took place with the nation of Israel and show us how to place this into our lives. Now, Father, we love you, we praise you, Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages today that we may walk in obedience of your truth. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So the first question that I want to ask today is this. Why did the glory depart? Why did the glory depart? Now we see that the glory of God departs and, and they speak in chapter 4 that it's because the Ark of the Covenant has been taken away. But it also is because Eli has passed away and so has her husband. I want to go back all the way, well one chapter, to chapter 3. And in chapter 3 we pick up the story of Samuel. Samuel is hearing this voice, Samuel, Samuel, and he doesn't know who it is. So he runs to Eli and he says, Eli, did you call? He says, no, I didn't. And after multiple times, he finally says, hey, God is speaking to you. So say uh, your servant is listening and let God speak. It says this in, and we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Samuel hears the Lord. He goes back to sleep. The next morning, Eli comes out and says, Samuel, 
Tell me everything that the Lord said. And if you don't tell me, I, may it happen to you. Samuel is a young man, young boy. And he's under this, this pressure. He's fearful of speaking this. But he walks in obedience of God's call. And he speaks to Eli that which will happen. Now we pick up in chapter 4. In chapter 4, the the nation of Israel goes to war against the Philistines. And as they're going to war against the Philistines, they find out that that they're losing. And they say, what is wrong? Why is God not defeating the Philistines? Have the Philistines not come against the covenants of God? Have the Philistines not been this pagan nation? And here we are and we're losing to them. And so what they do is they say, hey, let's go get the ark. Let's go get the ark and let's take it to battle. And the Lord will go before us. Now, here's what's interesting. They thought that when they took the ark, that the Lord would hand over the Philistines to them. They thought that they would have victory. But here's what happens when when the Philistines, look at their response in chapter 4, verse 7, 8, and 9. This is very interesting. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hands of these, and this is interesting, of these mighty gods, with an S. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. It goes on. It says, take courage and be men, O Philistines. You will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. Here's the response of the Philistines. Fearful, for they had some understanding of God. They had heard about how God delivered them from the Egyptians' hands. And let me tell you, that's a pretty cool story if you haven't read it. Ultimately, Pharaoh kept saying, no, I'm not going to let my people go. And God continued to bring about these plagues. And finally, finally, Pharaoh said, okay, I've had enough. And then they cross through the Red Sea, as I tell you all the time. It's one of my favorite stories. If I was there, I feel like I'd be running my hands through the the water on both sides. It's just amazing to me that God did this. And as I told you last week, with his nostrils, it says, he blew open the Red Sea. So they were fearful because they had some understanding. But look at this response. It says, they thought that Israel worshipped multiple gods. Because it says here, with an S, they said that these are the gods. And and listen, I get it. They don't understand who Yahweh is. But why do you think that they would think that the Israel nation had multiple gods? And the reason is, as we see this later, is that Israel was worshiping other gods. They weren't just worshiping Yahweh. So this is an understandable judgment that they made by saying that, hey, they worship multiple gods, and those gods are the ones that took them out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. Now, the nation of Israel thought that the ark was there and that they would win the battle. The problem is, is that they didn't realize that judgment begins in the house of God, in the people of God. God used the Philistines to get the nation of Israel's attention. God used the Philistines to show the nation of Israel that you can't have it both ways. You can't serve all these false gods. And then when you need help in this moment, then you call on Yahweh. And so they were defeated. 
And in being defeated, what happens? But the Ark of the Covenant is taken. It says in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 4 that the Ark was taken and that both Eli's sons were killed. Eli's sons were killed and then Eli died upon hearing of the news. It says that he fell over and he died. Then we see, as I just read to you at the end of chapter 4, that the name Ichabod was given because the glory of God had departed. So why did the glory of God depart? I believe it's multiple reasons. Eli, who was a leader, and his lack of obedience to God's word... It bled over into the nation. Now let me just tell you, Eli is responsible for his actions and each individual is responsible for their actions, but I can see how they would have been swayed not seeing Eli stand up accordingly to the word of God. The nation of Israel was worshiping false gods. And to remove the nation of Israel's distractions, God allowed the Philistines to defeat the nation of Israel in this moment, and to take the Ark of the Covenant. The next thing that we see in this story is starts in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we see the glory of God on display. First, we saw the glory of God uh, departs from Israel, but then we see the glory of God in chapter 5. It is by far one of, and I say this all the time, but it is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It says this, I just got to read just the first couple uh, verses of chapter 5. It says this, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now why would they do that? They would take the ark and put it in front of Dagon, their false god, so that they could say, Dagon gave us victory over the nation of Israel. But little did they know that it was God, Yahweh himself, who allowed them to overtake the Philistines. And so they take it before Dagon, and it says this in verse 4, But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Oh, I love this. A false god made by human hands had to fall on his face before holy God. You want to know how holy, you want to know how great the glory of God is? Listen, even a false god had to fall on his face before the holiness of our God. It goes on and in verse 4 and it says, well, they lifted it back up. And so the next day they come in and this time Dagon's not just on his face, but this time his arms, his head, they're, they're dismembered. And so they're like, whoa, like uh, we need to get rid of this thing. And so what does the nation of Israel do? But they send it to different Philistine cities. And every city that it goes to, they deal with this massive uh, outbreak of sickness. They have all these different things that are happening, and they're like, we got to get rid of this thing. Like, it has brought a curse on us. What they didn't realize is that it's the glory of God that they need to fall on their face before the holiness of who God is. And finally they said, hey, what can we do? How do we get rid of this? And they they came up with this plan. And they said, we're going to send it on a cart and we're going to see if it goes directly to the nation of Israel. We're going to even send a peace offering there. And if it goes directly to the nation of Israel, then we know that God has brought all this upon us. Well, sure enough, that happens, right? 
that takes place. And we see that in chapter 6. In chapter 6 verse, uh, well really the whole chapter, the ark returns. They're discussing how to do it. The ark returns. And then the nation of Israel receives the ark. But what's interesting here, and I want to pick up in verse 19 of chapter 6. It says, he struck down some of the men of Beshemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down of all the people, 50,070 people. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck down the people with great slaughter. And then they said, who is able to stand before the Lord? This holy God. And to whom shall he go up from us? Church, I, I look at this and I say, man, like my heart breaks for the 50,070 people who passed away for looking into the ark. But God gave them so much scripture and, and plumb lines to follow. And listen, the rules, the regulations about the ark that he gave was not so that he could say, well, I like to give you a whole bunch of rules. It was because he loved them so much that he wanted to protect them from his holiness. Listen, when God gives us plumb lines, when he gives us precepts, when he gives us his word, his word is there for us out of love to protect us from the enemy, to protect us from what the enemy has done uh, according to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And so when we look at this, God is not saying, oh, I just want you to have a whole bunch of rules and you're not allowed to look in. He's saying, I love you, and I recognize that in your fallen state, because of what has taken place in Genesis 3, you cannot look at the holiness of God. And so he gives them these rules, and and they didn't follow it. And because of that, 50,070 people died. But then they made that statement, who is able to stand before the Lord, the holy God? We see here that the glory of God is on display. Even though the glory has departed from Israel, the glory of God was not diminished. It was on display in the court of Dagon or the temple of Dagon as Dagon had to fall on his face before the holiness of God. It was on display as it went from city to city. It was on display as it went back into the nation of Israel and even to the place where they said, hey, we got to put this thing aside until we bring it back to Jerusalem. So this begs the question. We see the glory of God depart. We see the glory of God on display. So the question is, is how does the glory of God return? What does the nation of Israel need to do for the glory of God to return? Now, I know that many of us jump to David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, but I want to take you first to 1 Samuel 7. And in 1 Samuel 7, after the ark had been taken, after all of these different things, and then it was returned, this is what Samuel says to the people. He says this in verse 3, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you, And direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and Asheroth and served the Lord alone. Church, 
you want to see the glory of God being reflected in our lives? It's going to start by repentance of sin and areas of our life where we are not reflecting the glory of God. It's going to start when we fall on our face before the holiness of God and say that that you are holy, you are set apart, and I have sinned, as David said, against you. And there are areas of my life that's not reflecting the glory of God. I have trusted in little false gods, whether it's materialism or wealth or, or wanting to be known or our job or our career, whatever it is that we put before God, it's going to start when we fall on our face and repent. Repentance is that turning away from the sin and back to God. It's recognizing our sinfulness. It's a heart of brokenness and truly turning away from that sin. Psalm 139, I love Psalm 139. Y'all hear me quote it all the time. But Psalm 139, David is writing and he's saying, and he gives us this incredible understanding that God knew him before he was even formed. He knew him from the creation of the world. It says in there that that even before all of this, he knew me. And that he knows even a a, a word before it's spoken. David gives this incredible testimony of who God is and how he knows him better than he knows himself. And this is what I love. David's okay with that. He's okay with that. He's so okay with that, even though he says that it it makes my head hurt, right? He basically says, like, I'm overwhelmed by the thought of, of how you love me and how you have formed me and how you know every bit about me. But here's what David says at the end of the psalm. Because you know me so well, search me and know me. Because you know me better than I know myself, search my heart and show me any evil way about me. See, David runs to this, to this idea that, hey, God knows every bit. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I recognize that he's, he's compassionate and slow to anger and that he uh, has loving kindness towards me. So I'm not going to just run in fear. Oh, no, he knows every bit about me. I'm going to say, God, because you know every bit about me, search me and show me. Father, if there's anything in my heart any area of my life that I am not reflecting the glory of God because I am following false little G gods. Father, show me so that I may fall on my face in repentance before you. Oftentimes we'll say, I don't really want to know, David, things and areas of my life where I'm struggling. Can I tell you this? Because you have a false understanding or not the right understanding of God's heart. Because you're afraid, if I know that, then, oh man, I have messed up. Let me just tell you, we've all messed up. When you recognize that God, and he speaks of his glory in Exodus 34, just put that passage up, 6 and 7, Exodus 34. When you recognize, it says the Lord, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. It says he keeps a a loving kindness for thousands who forgive iniquities. And transgressions and sin. Yes, he speaks after that, that those who don't turn to him, those who don't repent. Yes, it says that those will not go unpunished. But here's the beauty, church. God knows us. And so when we recognize that his heart is compassion and loving kindness and gentleness, we say, God, show me anything in my life so that I may lay it down and repent. Repent. 
Instead of saying, Father, I'm scared for you to show me because then I've got to admit I've messed up. The scripture says that we're all a work in progress, church. You think you made it? You need to get on your face and ask God. The scripture tells us we're all a work in progress. Listen, at salvation, at the moment of salvation, we're saved from the the, uh, penalty of sin. We are in the sanctification process. We're being saved from the power of sin. And listen, there's a day coming when we breathe our last that we will go from salvation, sanctification to glorification. And in that moment, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But until that day happens, we are growing in Christ daily. It's a sanctification process. Search me, God, and show me. So for the glory of God to return, there must be that repentance of sin. But then we jump over to 2 Samuel 6. And in 2 Samuel 6, David's now on the scene, and David says, you know, I'm going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. I'm going to bring it back. And so he actually makes two attempts. Many of you who have studied the word know that there were two attempts. The first attempt, they put it on a cart. And they're bringing the cart back to Jerusalem. But there's a problem. Is that when that cart begins to shake a little bit, one of the sons of the household where the ark was staying, he reached out just to keep the ark from falling over. And he died for touching it. And listen, if that's all you read, I can understand how you could be frustrated. God, he was just trying to keep the ark from falling over. That's a good thing, God. And he died. But what we don't realize is that until you look into the scriptures in the Old Testament, God gave them a way for them to bring and to move the ark of the covenant. It was not on a cart, but it was by the Levites holding the posts, the poles, as they carried the Ark of the Covenant. And so here's what happened in that moment. David was attempting to bring back the Ark of the Covenant in his own strength, his own power, his own way. And it brought about devastation. Church, how often do we say, man... I see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all this stuff, gentleness, self-control. I see all that, so i got to work on this, and i got to do it. i gotta, I got I to be patient. And then we go to the grocery store, and there's a long line, and it's like, oh! Have you ever noticed, here I am chasing a rabbit, have you ever noticed when you go to the store, and they have all those self-checkouts, but only one person is actually at the line? I'm like, i got to wait in all this line. But you know what? I just say, Lord... Wash over me right now. I learned how to fix that problem. I just let my wife go to the grocery store. <laughs> but what happens is, is we try in our own power to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And it's just like David trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant and his wisdom and his understanding. And it's futile. It's futile. It, 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 it's impossible, church. And then... David goes back and he says, okay, let's, let's do this again. This is what I read to you earlier. As the glory of God falls down on the place, David goes in and he 
puts the post in and, and they take one, they take two, they take six paces as it says in the scripture and they stop and they say we're going to sacrifice and they begin to dance and they begin to cry out to God. Why? Because the glory of God is, is with them and they're bringing this back into Jerusalem and then they come in and they're dancing, they're singing and David even makes that statement where David Crowder made that song, I'll become even more undignified than this before my God. What did David do differently? David sought the word, and David walked in obedience of the word. Church, we want to see the glory of God reflecting in those areas of our life where we don't see that reflection. It's going to require repentance of our sins, and it's going to require diving in the word of God and walking in obedience of his word. It's that word that I use all the time. John 15, abide, dwell, delight. As we abide in the word of God and we see the glory of God in his scripture, the Holy Spirit produces fruit that reflects the glory of God in our life. But so often we say, hey, these are attributes that I need in my life and so I'm going to work hard at it. David did that with his own thought, his own idea, and it produced death. Can I tell you that legalism will also produce death? Listen, I've been there personally. Where I fought legalism so hard that I was like, Lord, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. And finally, in my hard-headedness, God broke through and said, David, you can't do this. But I can. Trust me. Follow my ways. Let my word wash over you. And let it reflect my glory. So, I want to bring this all home with some practical thoughts and ideas. Last week we saw that the word of God shows us his glory and by abiding in his word, the Holy Spirit will produce that fruit that reflects the glory of God. So church, I ask this question, are there areas of your life where you're not reflecting the glory of God? Are there areas of your life where you say, man, I haven't fully submitted that area. I haven't fully trusted in, I'm trusting in other things. Are there areas where you trust in other gods. And then you call on Yahweh in a time of need. Just like the nation of Israel. Hey, we're losing to the Philistines. Bring in the ark. Let's go. We got the ark. Now we're going to win. And God says, oh, I have a whole different plan for you. But do you see how God worked all things to good? Even with the Ark of the Covenant being taken, which would have seemed devastating to the nation of Israel, we see years later the Ark of the Covenant coming back. And in between that time, what do we see? We see repentance of sin, a, a turning back with a whole heart to God. Now, did they struggle? Absolutely. Go read the book of Judges, which happened before this. Up and down, up and down, right? All Their whole testimony, the nation of Israel is up and down, up and down. But God allowed this situation to happen so that the distractions would be removed and they would have to face reality. Church, are you attempting in your own power to reflect God's glory? Are you in the Word and are you walking in obedience? Of the word. 
you know, I've already shared with you, but all of these are difficult, difficult questions. It's easier for us to say, okay, Dave, it's 1134. You got 10 more minutes. I won't have to answer this question when I get out the door. But as I said earlier, the only reason that we would be like that is because we aren't fully understanding the heart of God. When David says, search me and know me, O Lord, it wasn't so that you can beat me up. It was because you know me better than I know myself and I want to lay anything down that I don't even see in my life. Church, we must, we must let the word of God show us the heart of God and not just our fallen state as I read that quote last week. So I want to close with an example and a passage. How many of you, and I know that we don't have this anymore, they're, they're, they're kind of slowly going away, but how many of you ever been to a, a, a mall, right? How many of you, okay, so my kids told me just this past week, they said, Dad, I want to go back to the Mall of America. Well, the only reason they want to go there is because they want to ride all the rides, Right? And what they don't understand is that the last time we went, we were gifted an unlimited pass. So it was basically free. They could ride anything they wanted. This time we'd have to pay for it so they'd get like one ride, right? And so they're like, I want to go, go back to the Mall of America, Dad. Big mall, right? Huge mall in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And when you get in there, it's overwhelming because there's all these floors and, and there's this theme park in the middle, if you are wanting to go to a certain place, what do you do? You go to that big map, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you say, okay, I'm looking for this store, and it's like, okay, this is B7. Then you find B7 on the map, right? But there's one other thing that you must know to be able to get to B7. And what is that? You are here. You are here. Church, we understand from the scripture where we're trying to get. We understand in the scripture that where we're trying to get is to reflect the image of God. That we're trying to get to a place of growth and and sanctification. We get that. But until you're real with yourself and say, this is where I am, you'll never be able to get over here. Church, until we're real before God and say, God, you truly do know me better than I know myself. And God, you truly do love me and care for me. And so, Father, I'm going to lay my heart before you and say, show me anything in my life. Until you're able to say, this is where I am, you won't be able to get to where you're going. So I close by reading to you Psalm 13. Psalm 13 has been dear to my heart over these past few weeks. And this is what I love about Psalm 13. David is real with God. I mean, he is real. And this is what it says in Psalm 13. I'm going to flip to it in my Bible. Psalm 13 says this. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemies will say, I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. I don't know about you, but when you read that, if that's all you read, you're like, man, David is being real with God. God, I, I, I'm hurting. God, I, I don't know what's going on. Where are you? What is happening? How long will you forsake me forever? What is happening, God? Do you recognize that my enemies are gloating over the fact of what I'm having to go through? David is real with where he is. But then he says this, But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is what I love. David's real. He says, God, this is where I am. This is where I am. But I will trust in you because you're compassionate. You have loving kindness that goes from generation to generation. You're gentle. You have my best interest in mind. You love me unconditionally. David gets real with God and says, I'm going to be very transparent because of your great love for me. Church, the glory departs because they were following false gods, because Eli, as a leader, would not address the situation. All these different things were taking place, and God used the nation of Israel in removing the Ark of the Covenant from them so that they would have their distractions removed, and all they had left was to fall on their face before the holiness of God. They had to get real with God. You want to see the glory of God reflected in those areas of your life? We have to get real. We have to get real with God and say, this is where I am. But I trust you. I trust your loving kindness, your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your gentleness. I trust you. 